I'm Avery. I'm James. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you're going to hear topics discussed. Avery, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Avery. I can plug my the same thing I always plug, which is go to Bandcamp and find out about Avery Burke. Still not on Spotify, huh? Before I get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's the What's the latest on... On whether or not I've been canceled, because I'm about to release some real <laughs> controversial music. Nice. <laughs> What's the latest on Spotify? Why Why won't they let you on this time? I kind of gave up after getting continuously getting rejected for my album cover art. Now they don't want you on there because you give up too easily. Yeah, now, now I don't believe in myself enough. I will be on Spotify. And then after I put my old recordings on Spotify, I will eventually make some new recordings and also put them on Spotify. But until then... Um, until my political enemies get to me, please look for me on Bandcamp. Okay. And James, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Tonight I will plug the spaghetti bolognese that I ate for dinner. Ooh. It was made by my mom, and it was very tasty. Uh, bolognese, as everybody knows, is stands for bologna and mayonnaise. <laughs> In Australia, they call it spag bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that oh, that oh. sounds even more delicious. <laughs> so you're plugging the very one that is being digested by you, presumably, right? Yeah, now? this this bolognese does not exist anymore. Yeah, when, when if you're going to ask if there's enough to share, there probably isn't. This bolognese right. does not exist is my favorite AI website. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah, James, your topic is stone paper. So stone paper is. It's a type of paper made of stone, but that's actually not quite true because it's 60%, depending on who, who's making it, it's like 60% calcium carbonate, and then the rest is plastic. But I found out about it, and it sounds kind of cool, and I want to, I haven't actually gotten any, but I kind of want to try it and test it out because it's like waterproof and stuff. Yeah, that sounds useful. Yeah, no, it's it's like you, you'll you'll see like video demos and people will like crumple it up and it won't it won't get all creased like regular paper because it's it's stone it's heavy. Right, they 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 try to crumple it up and it just breaks their hands. I mean, it's not exactly the Flintstones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like from the screenshots that I'm seeing, you can pour water on it. Yeah. Which I guess you could do with regular paper, but. In this case, it won't I, get ruined. I mean, some some papers can take some water, but this is like I think you could just soak it underwater, and so that's that's like kind of a big deal for packaging. Huh. Yeah, at the local hardware store, I remember there being an installation. It was it looked like an art installation, honestly, where like there was this this bin of water with a faucet, and the faucet was like turned on and spraying water at a notepad, and you were supposed to take a pen that was nearby and write whatever you wanted on the notepad while it was being sprayed with water and see that it wouldn't wash off. What? But then you're going to get soaked. What? Well, yeah, but that's that's the price you pay for participating in art. <laughs> <laughs> it really like seemed like a Dadaist art installation, but I'm pretty sure it was like trying to sell you this waterproof notepad. It would be a Dadaist art installation if it was also in a urinal while that was happening. Right, right. If if someone was peeing on the on the pad of paper and they're like, "Yeah, go write something." <laughs> That's very impressive. Uh, it appears that the big selling point, according to the internet, is that you can't destroy it with water or coffee. 
That's certainly something. I can destroy anything with coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that I own is stained with coffee. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've destroyed at least one laptop with coffee. So it's it's more powerful than a laptop. Yeah, coffee is way more powerful than a laptop. (laughs) See, what gets to me is, is the thought that, you know, it used to be that everyone would burn their papers to, you know, get rid of the evidence or whatever. You know, like, if, if you have a plastic paper, you can't do that so easily. I guess you could. It would just require, you know, ha- handling toxic chemicals. Yeah, what I really want, I want a notepad where no one can, like, if I rip off the top sheet of paper, no one can, like, take a pencil and make a rubbing of the one below it to get the negative space of what I wrote. <laughs> Yeah. Which definitely wouldn't be possible on the Flintstones. This makes you both sound like you used to be or are currently spies of some kind. Like, (laughs) James is just like, as a matter of, you know, as a matter of normal course, it used to be that everybody used to burn their documents. (laughs) What else would you do with paper, though? I guess, you. well, yeah, you know, you've got me there. Can you shred this stuff? Would it destroy a paper shredder? You, you can cut oh, it. Oh, man. You can't just tear it normally like you do with, you know, your notepaper. Like, you have to really pierce it. This is very exciting. It's, a, it's, a, it's paper, but it's got all these different weird characteristics. Like, I, re- I would really, I would love to have... It's like margarine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you put margarine in the shredder, bad things happen. <laughs> yeah, and also, it's harder to burn margarine. And if you right. write things in margarine, it's hard to get the uh, negative space of that too by rubbing by right, making right. a rubbing of it. I would love to have like just a prank sheet of paper that's like a document that like oh shit we better shred this. Like if, if any office worker sees it and wants to shred it, uh, or, or they, they will immediately want to shred it because like oh this is top secret information. But then it destroys the shredder. The shredder becomes the shredded. <laughs> You know, I have shredded uh, top secret information before. Or not top secret, but secret clearance information when I worked at NASA. You don't have a top secret clearance, but you have a secret clearance. I don't I don't think I had clearance to do it. I, I worked in the like document control <laughs> department. <laughs> and, oh. I, and I had to I had to copy something that had that clearly had a um that clearly had some kind of demarcation like eyes only or clearance or something. I don't know. This was when I was in high school. Only Um, for the the document control society. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, It was was like a blueprint for something. And then I had to shred the original one. And I thought about taking it home. But you know what I've learned recently is that that comes with a heavy penalty. The FBI might raid your house. (laughs) Ooh. Wait, the penalty is that they might raid your house? Well, I mean, no. The penalty is that you might go to jail. But before that, the FBI might raid your house. Yeah, that would be... But how would they possibly know if you just had a novelty t- secret document in your house? <laughs> well, the FBI is going to know. The, no- the novelty FBI will come after the novelty secret document. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a bunch of people with, with fake mustaches and, and, and like Groucho Marx glasses and stuff. <laughs> right. Me and a few friends were going to go surprise a friend of ours at a show that she was playing in L.A. And on the way up, we decided to go in disguise. And uh, I looked at Party City and couldn't find any Groucho Marx glasses. And they said that they had just recently had somebody buy like a hundred of them and they were sold out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is paper made of rock. It's it's short circuiting rock, paper, scissors. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh. So, so all you, all you need now 
It's scissors paper. <laughs> <laughs> you win every time. Like instead of the paper cut, it just you know dismembers. Just it's just a regular cut. Yeah. <laughs> Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yes. I I would I would do another topic. Avery, your topic is the flashing blade. The flashing blade. First of all, this story involves police, but imagine if the police were not armed. Imagine how much better everyone would like the police. That is the case in England. Um, but what happens <laughs> when the police aren't armed is that uh, armed groups of thugs can then gain the upper hand over the police. And uh, there was just such an incident happening in the town of Tyneside, Tyneside in England, T-Y-N-E-S-I-D-E. How would you pronounce that? Tyneside? Tyneside. Just, I don't know. I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> in the, Tiny side. In the town of Tinyside, uh, there was a... Uh, <laughs> There was what is described in one of the only surviving um, accounts that I can find. There was a gang uh, with knives, chains, and a and a hammer. Knives, chains, and a hammer. Who uh, singular? <laughs> a singular hammer. So that it's either one guy had a chain and a hammer, or there was one hammer guy. And they had these two detectives pinned down, and suddenly uh, a man in. A ninja outfit with a sword came running out of nowhere and screamed at these guys uh, to leave the police officers alone and slashed one of them in the arm. And apparently his behavior was such that it it spooked this gang and they ran off. Um, And the guy was described as being in his mid 40s, five foot 10 inches with a with a mustache. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a ninja with a must like in a ninja suit with a mustache and a sword. So why do, why is it called the flashing blade and not mustache ninja or the mustache? <laughs> <laughs> That's mustaches great... aren't funny or notable in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. If it happened in the United States, he'd be mustache ninja. Uh, well, apparently, the flashing blade was a TV show um, in France that had been that was put on in Britain by the BBC, and so people took to calling this guy the flashing blade and. Um, I'm not sure why this wasn't a larger news story. A, a ninja saved a group of police officers from an armed gang. Few accounts I can collect of this make it sound like this guy at some point was a known quantity. So I'm not sure if like there are more flashing blade incidents. I I don't know why I don't know why more people weren't talking about this when it happened. <laughs> when when was this? Mustache ninja strikes strikes in 2007. Yeah, that was uh, that was right in the middle of of like pirate robot ninja mustache uh, <laughs> mania. Pirate robot ninja mustaches is, is that is what we have to replace rock paper scissors with now that um, now, now that, that there's stone paper. Stone paper, yeah. Right, right. Paper, pirate robot paper ninja mustache. <laughs> yeah, that was right at the height of a uh, of a. Uh, ninja robot mania right bacon sorry i'm just i'm just yelling stuff now <laughs> yeah this was what was the the guy that you were talking about um last time we, we talked about this stuff ankle grinder man oh a- a- ankle grinder is way worse an- ankle biter man <laughs> ankle biter man it was yeah ankle grinder man we were talking about how somehow angle grinder man is still at large he's never been caught I mean, apparently so is the Flashing Blade, but the Flashing Blade wasn't, like, destroying city property. 
Right, but all and also the flashing blade didn't have like a public phone number on a website <laughs> yeah. you could call yeah. to to summon him at any time. Right, it's very unclear what summoned the the flashing See, blade. This is this is this is all reminding me of um, real life superheroes. Yeah, yes. yeah. There's like it was like a two thousands thing. There, there's like a website and everything. Yeah, but yeah. I don't remember yeah. what came of it exactly. I'm pretty sure what came of it is that we read a bunch of text from that website when we were talking about angle grinder man yes yes oh. it's it's very yes yeah, that's uh, right fascinated by this stuff yeah there's a really good um there's a youtube creator i like a lot uh and her channel is called atrocities guide and she has like a 45 minute long little documentary about a guy named phoenix jones who led a team of superheroes in seattle and at first it seemed like all fun and games and then one day they the superheroes who were mostly made of like ex-military people and like Phoenix Jones eventually revealed himself and he was an ex-MMA fighter. Uh, these right. people mistakenly thought that a bunch of friends having fun out in downtown Seattle were attacking someone. And so they descended on these people and started beating on them. And the people fought <laughs> back and it became this really horrible thing of a bunch of guys dressed like superheroes fighting a bunch of random people on the street. Yeah, not uh, not not a great day for for real life superheroes. Yeah, kind of why real life superheroes don't work. One of many reasons why real life superheroes don't really work. It should immediately happen in every superhero story. Yes, like if if we're uncomfortable with the state having a a monopoly on uh, on force, we probably should be even more uncomfortable <laughs> with random individuals. Yeah, it, imagine <laughs> it's like police, except there's no oversight at all. Yes. Yes. Uh, this, this Phoenix Jones guy, he got, I think he was arrested. This is the worst kind of podcasting where I'm like recounting a story that I saw once that I don't remember 100%. That you 99% are sure you told last time you were on the show. Yeah, that I may have actually said last time we talked about this topic. It's cool. Okay. It, it, it's, it gives us a new angle on, on your understanding of Phoenix Jones. <laughs> He was arrested. <laughs> it's the Avery's Angles on Phoenix Jones podcast. Avery's Angle Grinders on Angle Grinder Man and Phoenix Jones. <laughs> yes. Episode 100. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, they arrested him and they allowed him to keep his costume on for some reason. And then afterwards he had a press conference. Because he was naked under there. They would have He would have been nude in the jail cell. I'm sure... I am sure Seattle has, on a nightly basis, at least one man arrested for being nude in a jail cell. They're legally obligated to provide you with a dinner jacket. <laughs> I used to, I used to tell people that in San Francisco there is a uh, there's a city ordinance that says that if there's a gathering of more than fifty people, somebody has to be naked. <laughs> and then it's always like you're like, all right, we got fifty. Somebody's got to do it. And it's always like the person you least want to get naked is immediately like, I'll do right. it. Right? Yes. He's <laughs> already taking off his clothes. Well, yeah. It's it's like it's like the Joker says, if you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> uh, you know, I love it when you quote the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, our our the late great Heath Ledger, fame as as he famously said, if you're good at being naked, don't, don't do, do it for, for free. free. Charge your shower. Make, right. make your bed pay. Yeah, so Phoenix Jones had a press conference and then he took his cowl off and revealed himself and it was somebody no one had ever heard of before. It was like when the masked magician revealed himself and people were like, who? What? 
Yeah. This I'm pretty sure this is something that happened like when at the end of the South Park movie, Kenny shows his face and then he just shows his face and like you're like, well, I don't know what I expected. It's a dude's face. <laughs> That's really good. And I don't know if that was the joke or not, but it is a it is funny. Yeah, it's like uh what the hell home improvement where the neighbor you never see the neighbor's face. I don't I never watched that show. I I, I sort of remember this, but I, yeah, no, it, it, or or like peanuts where you never see the teacher's face. Yeah. Like, or 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 hear their voice in any clear way, yeah. Yeah. And and then and then like in the last episode of the Peanuts movie, <laughs> you hear one of the parents talking clearly and they're just like someone's voice. And they're just a normal person. Because what the hell what the hell else is it gonna be? Right. Do you remember am I the only person I you guys remember the masked magician, right? I actually don't think I know that one. It sounds familiar, but go 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 on. Maybe I'll remember. Uh in the mid nineties I was in high school, um this guy had a had a special where he revealed all of magic's tricks. Like, he went through and he revealed famous ma- like how famous magic tricks worked, and it was like a primetime thing on Fox. And I think he did, like, yes. five or six episodes, and he was masked the whole time because he was like, people are going to get mad at me for revealing their tricks. And then at the very last episode, he unmasked himself, and he was some magician that no one had ever heard of. And he was like, <laughs> why did I do this? I did this to push magic forward. If you come to my shows, you're going to see all kinds of secrets that I haven't revealed. <laughs> it was just like a big advertisement for, now that I've fucked over all the other magicians, you have to come see me. Savvy business move. Yes. Although I don't, I don't remember his name. So. I feel like there's, there is a lot more TV stage magic in the 90s. Yeah. Remember? That was also Penn and Teller's, like, a lot of their stuff. The weird thing about putting magic on TV is that most of it can just be, like, done with a camera cut. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Wasn't there a thing where, like, David Copperfield raised the Titanic or something on television? Oh, David- and you just did a, he did a CGI Titanic and it was like, yeah, here it is. <laughs> he, like, he brought back, like, a boat that was lost in the... In the um, the... He just played the the ending of the movie Titanic backwards. <laughs> <laughs> he like brought back a boat that was lost in the Bermuda Triangle or something, it, but it was all on television. And at the end, he reveals that the boat is behind this curtain. And because it was all on television, like I remember as a kid thinking, "Well, they could have moved that boat in when the camera wasn't looking there." Like that's that's right. not a magic trick. Yeah, yeah, or like I mean. They could have just sailed the boat in while the camera, while the curtain was closed. Like, is the magic yeah. trick that you have more than one person? Like, you have you. The magic trick is that you know somebody who can drive a boat. <laughs> the magic <laughs> trick is that you is that you're able to get a lot of people to watch this series. Right. Yeah. The masked magician's name was Val Valentino, which <laughs> someone's parents hated him. <laughs> Sounds like a. It sounds like a mob character. Yeah. Wow. The mass magician thing happened for two years. I didn't. I don't. I did not remember that. Huh. Are we? Uh, are we ready for another topic? I was born ready. Yes. Uh, my topic is the number ones. So I've been reading this series on stereo gum. This column, Tom Brahan, writing about every 
uh, number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 since the chart was started in 1958 uh, in chronological order. So cool. He does like deep dives into every every song. It's like historical context. Um, the composer and the producer and the and the performer uh, and like their their context, like how they came into the music business and so on. And like it, it's a, it's a real interesting deep dive into. Um, all this sorts of nitty gritty, like inside baseball type stuff. And just talking about the song itself as well. Uh, and he's up to like, let's see, what's the most recent one. The most recent one is it's going to be me by NSYNC. So that was like in 2000, I think uh, I'm up to personally reading them. I'm up to uh, like mid, mid 1988 where I'm reading about cheap tricks, the flame, which was their only number one single. That's surprising to me. They were not a big band before that hit, and they only like their their memorable hits that everybody remembers. They only remember after listening to them after the flame was a hit. Huh. So like uh, surrender and um... yeah, yeah. Surrender is like from the seventies, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But uh, let's see. Surrender. It's it even it says here just uh, just to provide some context. Surrender got to number sixty two on the Hot One Hundred in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised by that. I mean, I guess that's why. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's why Cheap Trick, like that that album, is live at uh, Budokan, right? Like they're like they were. Yeah, huge they, in yeah, Japan. they were they were huge in Japan specifically. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's just super like a super interesting mix of like legitimate classics and like novelty songs and songs that weren't very good but successfully rode some sort of cultural zeitgeist whether on purpose or not to the like oh, there were so many songs on this that i've read about they're like they're hits because they were on a tv show like at least two of them were hits because general hospital played them <laughs> <laughs> that, wow what a cultural what an interesting cultural object i mean that, that was like that was like the whole thing with miami vice right yeah yes like every every episode was a music video yeah, and the Miami Vice theme hit number one, and then this weirdo, <laughs> like, synth nerd, Jan Hammer, however you pronounce his name, just was suddenly a star for a second. It, and it's also a super interesting, like, um, antidote, antidote to the idea that music used to be better, because if you, like, immerse yourself in, like, these, this is everything that was number one in, like, 1978, okay. there is a ton of bullshit there is so much schlock <laughs> yes and like i i feel yeah. like people my age and younger seem to remember the 80s as being a time when there was a lot of cool artsy music on the radio and that's not my my memory of it is that there was not a lot of that and that's why like nirvana was such a revelation and that there was a lot of that music being made but it wasn't like top 20 popular music yeah, yeah, yeah. The 80s, especially as the 80s go on, it seems to be very much like a, a time for really slick production values. I mean, by comparison, Nirvana is kind of folksy. It's kind of like just three dudes who just who can barely play their instruments. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but like I, I say that, but like they also clearly were trying really hard to make pop hits. Yeah. So and they're- there's <laughs> – they were music. I mean, like to be clear, like the chord changes and melodies, like Nirvana is something pretty special, like something like the Beatles. Yeah. 
Just See, it's extremely accessible as well as being, you know, down and dirty. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. And I'm looking forward to that stuff. I'm also, what I'm really looking forward to is getting to, and he hasn't started writing this stuff yet, but I'm really looking forward to getting to the parts where he's writing to about pop music after I stopped paying attention to pop music. <laughs> when was that? Oh, probably the mid-aughts is my guess. I, I feel like... uh it's a way to kind of make up for my my lack of recent education, but it's, it's also po- totally possible that I'll just get bored of all the songs that he's written about so far. I, I I know about half of them probably, or at least even if I don't recognize the name, I will hit play on the YouTube video and I'll at least recognize the chorus. Have you been surprised uh, by how much you like something? Like has there been a has there been a, a song that maybe you never took seriously that you actually like when when coming you out know this way? the that Neil Sedaka doo wop song breaking up is hard to do <laughs> yes that's a fucking banger man that's really good <laughs> uh, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I was hoping for <laughs> I I really like that experience of um, figuring out the way into some kind of music or some song that I didn't like before and like suddenly mm-hmm. being like wow this is great like that's a that's a, to me a very um affirming experience like I felt that way about very like some, for some reason really recently maybe it's just because I'm now middle-aged uh really recently I suddenly thought about the Steely Dan album Aja and listened mm-hmm. to some of it and was like actually some of these songs are very very good <laughs> but that, yeah. might, that might just be getting old and liking boring music i, I don't know <laughs> uh usually i mean that's that's not that bad usually what happens is that you get old and then you only like music from when you were 14 yes yes See, actually that reminds me that reminds me um i realized the other day you know i was like walking through the park and overhearing whatever people were playing on their phones or whatever and I'm like, people were playing, you know, what used to be like the the beautiful music radio stations back in the day. Oh yeah, that was a that was like a, a radio format, beautiful music. Yeah, I what? Yeah, really? Yeah, <laughs> and it, you know, it was just like really light, um, kind of background music. You know, lots of uh, upbeat strings and and you know, um, not not strong melodies or hooks. Um, yeah, yeah. Just something you could put on in the background. It's a mostly instrumental music format that was prominent in North American radio from the late 50s through the 80s. Yeah. Easy listening, light music, mood music, elevator music, and Muzak are other terms that overlap with this format and the style of music that it featured. So, so I, what I realized was that, yeah, what we have with, you know, the, the hip hop study beats and all of the like niche Spotify background music. That's that's like the return of these these stations in this format. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah, I've I've been wondering where the music, like the background music for uh, for like YouTube videos, comes from. I've I've assumed there's like a yeah. Spotify channel somewhere where you could just get troves of kind of light, non-intrusive music. Yeah, the, and okay, if you have a four-year-old who watches YouTube all the time, you will hear the same instrumental music over and over again. While your four-year-old watches uh, AI-generated videos of 
Hitler <laughs> dancing with uh, Spider-Man. God, they they might as well be AI generated. So look, actually, so the 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 genre that he's been really into lately, um, I think it's called Orbeez. Uh, and it, it's a video of – it's a process video of where you see somebody digging a hole and then they like line the hole with concrete and then they put like colored beads at the bottom of the hole to make a pattern like a color – like a like a, a face or whatever. And then they fill the hole with like some Mentos and Diet Coke combination. So, for first they fill the hole with like soda. Like you see them laying out like here's – 50 different bottles of soda and they pour them all into the hole along with the beads. And then they put like some combination of chemicals in the hole that's like the equivalent of Diet Coke and Mentos. And like imagine one of those like discs that you light on fire and at, at, at 4th of July when you're not allowed to have fireworks and it like makes a little ash snake. It's like that except it goes like 30 feet up in the air and then drifts away into a nearby tree. <laughs> I was prepared not to like this, but now I want to see this. <laughs> how do you how do you spell this? Uh, I so what I remember was O R B E E Z, but I could be wrong about that. Let me see if I can find something. Wait, you're going to compare this to AI generated content? Oh, I was just saying, like it's it's so formulaic that it might as well be twenty five million Orbeez in a pool. Okay, that might be related. It's hard to tell. <laughs> you know, most of the early memories that I have, I think they probably all start around two or three years old, are more sense memories than anything else. I wonder what the the generation that is very small children now watching this random stuff that already seems like it could have been generated in a dream, like... <laughs> I wonder when you look back and see these images from your very early childhood, if it's just like what what the effects of this are. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm going to find out. Yeah, <laughs> you got 14 years. That's right. I'll, I'll I'll issue some regular reports on this podcast. Are we uh, Are you ready for another topic? Yes. Yeah. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem "King of the River" by Stanley Kunitz. Uh, Avery, do you want to read this? Uh, yeah, I can read it. If the water were clear enough, if the water were still, but the water is not clear, the water is not still, you would see yourself slipped out of your skin, nosing upstream, slapping, thrashing, tumbling over the rocks till you paint them with your belly's blood. Thinned ego, yard of muscle that coils, uncoils. If the knowledge were given you, but it is not given. For the membrane is clouded with self-deception, and the iridescent image swims through a mirror that flows. You would surprise yourself in that other flesh, heavy with milt, bruised, battering towards the dam that lips the orgiastic pool. Come, bathe in these waters, increase and die. If the power were granted to break out of your cells, but the imagination fails, and the door of the senses closes on the child within, you would dare to be changed, as you are changing now, into the shape you dread. Beyond the merely human, a dry fire eats you. Fat drips from your bones. The flutes of your gills discolor. You have become a ship for parasites. The great clock of your life is slowing down and the small clocks run wild. For this you were born. The great clock of your life is slowing down and the small clocks run wild. For this you were born. You have cried to the wind and heard the wind's reply. I did not choose the way. The way chose me. You have tasted the fire in your tongue until it is swollen black with a prophetic joy. Burn with me. 
The only music is time, the only dance is love. If the heart were pure enough, but it is not pure, you would admit that nothing compels you anymore, nothing at all abides, but nostalgia and desire, the two-way ladder between heaven and hell. On the threshold of the last mystery, at the brute, absolute hour, you have looked into the eyes of your creature self, which are glazed with madness, and you say, He is not broken, but endures, limber and firm in the state of his shining, forever inheriting his salt kingdom, from which he is banished forever. That's the poem. So that's intense. Yeah. But I don't know what it means. Does it mean anything? I don't know that it means anything really more than, uh, like, I've read Stanley Kunitz talk about this poem. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of just a, a meditation on um, seeing yourself transformed into a fish and like what deep way back in our way back in the, the most basal parts of our, of our brains is still a fish brain. And like this is mm. about the, the most the most um, animalistic and uh, uh, primitive part of your of your consciousness. Right. Um, and it's, you know, also about like the passage of time and, and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. It's about it's about death, like every poem, like every poem, especially every poem this poet wrote. He all all of his poems were sort of like this. They were all kind of about nature and about how thinking about nature causes you to think about death. Yeah. And and your purpose, right? Like this is it's about like a salmon or something, right? It's there's a lot of stuff about swimming upstream and. What this poem reminds me of is the video game Salmon Run, which is like an, <laughs> an Atari video game. And it's very, like, literally just this. I'm wondering if the poem actually influenced the game because it's so similar in what it's conveying. Gosh, I would love it if that were the case. I mean, this is just uh, like... Yeah, you don't see, you don't see nearly enough video games that are adaptations of poems especially like intense poems about like your basic drives and then death right uh you know what video game that was based on a poem that i have seen uh that i that i just anytime i get a chance i love to mention that there was a video game made of dante's inferno <laughs> <laughs> and, and in it you are dante and you're led by virgil and virgil is like this huge muscular guy with a sword and dante's a guy with a sword and there's a level where you have to fight unbaptized babies <laughs> right yes uh and I, I i saw an interview with the creators of um this because i briefly became just fascinated by the idea that anyone would think this was a good idea for a, for a video game all of the creators gradually admitted that none of them had read uh, any part of the Divine Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they said that they were thinking about a sequel if the game did well. And like, so the next sequences in the Divine Comedy are uh, Dante goes to Limbo and then Dante goes to Heaven. <laughs> and right. It's just love the idea of like, you have to fight your way through Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing an interview with a couple of the developers who clearly were at odds with like what was important about this game. One person was talking about how like it's this serious take on this literary work. And the other one was just like undercutting him at every step, just talking about like blood and boobs. And <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where like if you go if you're if you're on YouTube and you like just jump forward and the, there's a scene where he's fighting a huge topless woman. Which... Right. Yeah. So what what unlocked this game for me, like what I didn't realize when I well, I was baffled by it for years. 
Uh, and like, it's obvious now that I, now that I look back on it with, with a little bit of context, this is a game that was following up on God of War. Do you know about God of War? I do not. This is a yes. video game set with in, in, in Greek mythology, basically. And you are, it's a brawler and you are playing Ares and you kill every other god and become ascend to the to be the ruler of uh, i forget the name of uh zeus's throne or whatever it is olympus olympus thank you yes it's very very much like is trying to have one foot in both worlds of and and largely is successful in terms of like uh, impressing its, you know, gamer audience. It's trying to have one foot in both worlds of like, this is the majesty of Greek mythology. And also this is what it's like to bash someone's head into the concrete. <laughs> there's a fucking, there's a, there's a, a quick time event where you have to push in the left and right thumbsticks in order to gouge someone's eyes out. Wow. Those are great uses of thumbsticks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that sort yeah. of fits a little more with Greek mythology, right? Yeah, but but like, just do a little bit of a, a shift there, and now it's it's like God of War, but with Bible stuff. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. It it does. It's a, it seems like a, it's like a little bit more of a leap to me, where like <laughs> you're a super buff guy shooting crosses, like shooting crosses made of energy <laughs> at. <laughs> unbaptized babies that are crawling on the ceiling like that scene from train spotting <laughs> yes but i would i would argue that the reason that game was not a success was not the dissonance of uh the unbaptized babies it was that it wasn't a very good game it wasn't very fun yeah you don't you don't think that it's a bunch of literary snobs that are like this is inaccurate to the source material so i have to ask this um would Dante's Inferno, the video game, count as a like the, the genre of Christian video games? <laughs> <laughs> would, like, would you would you be able to market it as something that represents the Bible? I would say no, because like when I think of Christian X, I think of Christian rock, uh, which is targeting a, a very different audience from what would want to, the one that would want to play a game like this. But it totally is Bible stuff. It is Bible stuff, but but in a kind of a <laughs> purian, it, it educational, as opposed to a reverential way. Yes, I guess that's true. It could just be that Bible stuff that like you're like, look how hardcore we we Christians can be. <laughs> we we <laughs> you have extreme culture. We also have extreme culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're owning our are angels that are just a bunch of eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> not being a religious person and not really have, having been raised with very much Christian culture, even though my uh, dad's side of the family is Irish Catholic. Like, I'm not clear on how much ownership non-Catholics feel over Dante's works, because those are very, very Catholic works. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's popes and stuff, in, or there's bad, there's bad popes in hell. Like, <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe Protestants and, and other denominations would, would, uh, would be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can offer a Lutheran perspective on this, which is that it's just another like historical thing. Uh -huh. It's not it, like, it, it isn't 
treated any differently from other religious texts of that time, I guess. Yeah, like like people might might read uh might read the Confessions and might read this, and it, and it's all sort yeah. of the sort of historical documents rather than because like you know Catholics would treat the writings of the saints, I think, probably differently than just more reverentially than just if they were um, interesting historical documents or or interesting philosophical writings about theology. Mm-hmm. Have, you ever read, have you ever have you guys ever read Confessions by Saint Augustine? No, no. It's a, it's a great work, and um, there are two chapters in it that are about memory. That are like if I were teaching a philosophy of mind course, I would assign them as the first reading because they're actually they're a lot better than a lot of stuff that philosophy students learn as philosophy of mind, and they predate a lot of like what what would be called modern philosophy, which is the modern period would be like the seventeen hundreds. Um, but then also. He like stole and ate a pear when he was a kid, and he cannot fucking get over the fact that he stole and ate this pear. <laughs> and like <laughs> every other page, he comes back to this idea of this pear that he stole. And like the reason that he's the reason that he's so torn up about it is he took joy in the fact that it was something wrong. And so even though he had like a kid out of wedlock and then like abandoned his wife to go become a, a, a monk and stuff like that, the thing that he keeps coming back to is this pear. And how terrible! And like, by the end of reading this, I was just like, "Get over the pair, come on!" And <laughs> and I think that start the, feeling bad about this other stuff. Yeah, like, like you were a manichaean, you did all kinds of crazy shit. Come on, the pair is—it's just a pair for the love of God. Pun intended. Uh, and then on the on the book on the copy of the book that I have, there's a, like an illumination from I don't know when. Of a guy kneeling before a pear tree and weeping. <laughs> <laughs> the the pear itself just becomes a symbol of your guilt. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, for him, it was like a symbol of taking joy and doing wrong. But then, yeah. Now I'm now I'm now I'm wondering if if the story about George Washington and chopping down the cherry tree <laughs> is just like referring to the pear. <laughs> that's a that's a, a reference to a. Boy, because if there's one thing the Founding Fathers loved, it was Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, but they did one better. He has George Washington went and, and like oh, that's true. said that, that he, he was wrong and, and, you know, apologized. That's true. Yeah, George Washington as a child one-ups uh, St. Augustine. <laughs> it's clearly just trying to be that one bit better than the Catholics. Yeah. That that actually that actually seems like something that uh, uh, that Puritans of that era might have been into. Uh, before we move on, I want to talk about like what I was actually thinking about while you were reading this poem. I was thinking about how in the number ones, which was the column I was just talking about in the previous topic, one thing that keeps coming up that I so I talked about how. I probably recognize half the songs discussed in the column and I could probably like, I could maybe tell you the lyrics of the choruses, but in almost none of the cases could I tell you what the song is about, like in terms of what the singer is singing about. Uh, And this is something that this guy, the author of the column talks about constantly is like, like he'll just start talking about like, yeah, this is a song and they're usually about relationship situations. Apparently it's a very popular, popular topic in, in pop music about like breakups that just happened or breakups that are about to happen or what yeah. have you. Uh, 
And this is just not something that I'm, I've ever been aware of. Like I've never paid attention to lyrics of any music. And it's, and reading this guy's, like this guy's attention to detail. And it's not even like, it's not even like this is deep analysis. This is just like a face value reading of what the singer is talking about. And if I go to the lyrics, I can like read them and see, see it for myself. But listening to the music, I just don't hear it. And it's like realizing that I'm colorblind. That's in the two things that I have to respond to that. One is when you say apparently romance and heartbreak are a popular topic in music. <laughs> Relationship situations. Yeah. It really sounds like you are uh, reporting back to your fellow Martians about what, <laughs> about what, what humanity is getting up to. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I was literally hours ago having this conversation with my neighbor who was like, uh, who I think the only basis for conversation we ever have is music because he knows that I'm a musician. Um, yeah. And he was explaining that some friend of his doesn't listen to lyrics in songs, and he was really surprised by that. And, like, it's a strange thing to me. Like, the only thing I've ever really wanted to do with my life is be a songwriter, but by songwriter I mean, like, a guy who writes lyrics and melodies, right? Like, that lyrics are really yeah. important. Um, but Yeah, it's both. Yeah, yeah, it's both. And, and but that's like I mean that's an art form that goes back to like the fifteen fourteen fifteen hundreds. But it's not like a as a as a considered form of art uh, where you make a particular melody and you make a particular song with a particular idea in mind. Like that's not nearly as old as music itself. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a thing I often think about where like like you know as a philosophy person, um, uh, Schopenhauer talks about how he thinks that um, music is a non-representational art form that like the, the most direct access you can have to emotional experiences through music that like right look at a picture and it's a picture of something but when you hear a melody or or something like that you then experience the emotion that is supposed to be evoked by that melody so like it's a direct experience yeah there's no idea there that it's conveying yeah. it's just yeah it just goes right for the yeah emotion like the windows startup sound <laughs> <laughs> yes yes you experience a, a window opening <laughs> <laughs> or that famous ringtone that goes da 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 or whatever that is right uh, <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear that played by by an entire symphony. Um, <laughs> it's a strange thing. Like you don't need lyrics in music. It's not a thing that is required. And in some ways, it gets in the way of this like direct emotional experience. Likewise, lyrics are not poems, right? Like very rarely does a yeah. For one, lyrics are about relationships, and poems are about death. <laughs> <laughs> yes this is like training an ai or something <laughs> uh yeah like like this the poem that i read wouldn't really make a good song you know there's like german art song and stuff where there's like a melody and a poem over it but like a like a good actual song is like the lyrics and the melody are in conversation somehow and that usually makes for uh, a 
lyrics that don't stand on their own as as a as a piece of art right like it oftentimes some really meaningful songs if you pull the lyrics out and read them they're not like I often find myself because I like I'll, I'll critically analyze the lyrics and songs because again that's like an important thing to me and a lot of the times I'll find that there is a lot less lyrical content in the song than I thought there was um, right and it's because the lyrics and the melody are working together right right or a lot of the time and a, a lot of the time like it's just that this is a particularly good singer who can sell this idea this bad idea really well yes yeah or this idea where yeah it's sort of like acting or something like like in the wrong hands there's really nothing there right yeah or the melody can sell the idea really well so in in the right hands there's always going to be something there but that but that thing is is add lyrics plus plus melody um and yeah and I, i think there's a lot of people for whom like that just doesn't matter, including musicians. Like I've known, like the best musicians I've ever known. Uh, one of the best musicians I've ever known is not is a person who would constantly tell me that she did not listen to lyrics, but then also wrote a bunch of songs that had really amazing lyrics to them. So I'm not sure if she was just telling me that because she knew it would make me upset. <laughs> um, yeah. But, well, you know, you're, you're if you're trying to make music like for a general audience, they want words to it which is upsetting to me personally. Um, but, you know, if you got to put words to your music, you might as well make them good words. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can totally ruin something with embarrassingly bad lyrics. Well, I don't know. There have been a lot of hits, top 20 hits, that have embarrassingly bad li- where, where I hear them and I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. I, it once took me a year and a half to complete a song. Like, I, I am not concentrating on the right parts if this is, if this is like... But, you know, there's also been stuff with great lyrics and there have been... I mean, w- w- everything you're saying about lyrics sounds very similar to what people say about dialogue in storytelling, mm. which is that, you know, it, the characters aren't people. And so the dialogue has to, you know, it has to move the plot forward. It has to explain the characters. Yeah. They're in a space which is not like normal human language in the same way that a poem isn't, but it's also not trying to stand alone in the sense that it's like not a narrator telling you what's going on because there's also like visual action on stage or yeah or, or some kind of mixture of descriptive stuff and then dialogue yeah that's right an interesting point that like you don't even in even in a even in a super realistic feeling novel or something people aren't going to talk the way they talk in real life because that's not the point of the dialogue there yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I was trying to figure out like what what's the origin of this uh, you know, my my it's almost like an aversion to to listening to lyrics because I noticed this with with poetry as well where like I have to work really hard to do even a even a face value reading of a poem and I think at some like early age I learned that that words in this particular style are not worth paying attention to and so like my mind just erases them before it reaches my consciousness uh-huh. like somewhere between my retinas and my brain the words go away and i have to like go back and be like wait 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 hang on there were words there it's very similar to um how beginner drawings are described like hmm. when you're trying to draw but you don't you haven't like learned to see exactly what's there 
what you tend to do is you're like, oh, like symbolically, it looks like this. You draw a person, so you draw a stick figure, or you see a person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, or you're like, okay, yeah. a hand looks like this, a face looks like that, and then you just kind of compose them together and you get your image. And that's not, because what's actually there, if you're trying to work at it, is like, okay, you just like look at the angle of every, every shape and you try to figure out how long is that line and how do they, how do they juxtapose together? And it's much more fine grained, but you have to like, turn off the like the symbol symbolic parts of your brain to actually do that that's interesting and you know sometimes you'll be drawing and you won't be able to do that for a moment and then you'll you'll like draw a shape that's completely wrong right so okay wait wait so how how do they how do you turn on the symbolic part of your brain (laughs) (laughs) how do i take the anti-lsd (laughs) <laughs> isn't that isn't that asking you how do you how do you generate human reasoning how do i get too much into my own head yeah, it's it's it, because that's that's like um it's it's like an artificial intelligence topic right is like symbolic reasoning is really difficult right right but like i've got this machine in my skull that can supposedly do it and i just yeah. need to to whip it into shape well, but what you're doing with the poem is turning it off because you've determined that these are not simple. Yeah, but th- this was like three-year-old me that determined this. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's an idiot. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, you're right. I was going to defend three-year-old me for a second, and um, <laughs> right. the guy didn't know what was going on. I didn't have any idea what was going on. If I need def- three-year-old me defended, I could talk to my mom. He thought that Star Wars was the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> um, I think that analogy is actually pretty apt too, because like when you're reading text, straightforward prose text, like your your mind, your brain, or your mind, or whatever is is assigning assigning meaning and processing things. Kind of, uh, in fact, actually, I would say that the analogy is more like you got to turn off your symbolic brain in order to process poetry because it's language used in a way that you're not used to and like oh maybe that's my problem then i I think that's really interesting the idea that some automated process isn't isn't throwing this away but it is trying to parse this language using the the same mechanisms that i parse regular regular language with and it's coming up blank yeah 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 and like I think that's also the root of a lot of counterproductive ways of trying to read poetry where like the poem is like a code that's hiding something and if you just figure out the right, you know, the right way to put the words together, then you'll get the meaning that the author is trying to hide from you. Yeah, why am I turning into this fish? <laughs> yeah. Or like what does the fish stand for? Yeah. Right. Like that kind that kind of thing where like really, you know, when you're reading a poem like there's a reason that this is a poem and not a person writing a paragraph about hey what if i was a fish you know like yeah or at least at least a good poem there ought to be a reason why it, it's a poem and not another kind of another kind of uh, so okay now written. now i have to know what if what if we took the poem and we fed it into one of these image generation ais and <laughs> came up with its interpretation <laughs> Just, oh that is such a good idea take take famous <laughs> poems and give them to like Dolly or whatever the other one is and see what they make out of them. Oh my God, that's a great idea. 
I mean, it's probably gonna, it probably would destroy the algorithm to give it like several lines rather than just a, but like, oh, if we could find short poems, like William Carlos Williams poems or something and see what it, <laughs> see what picture it generates from them. Oh, that's... yeah. Yeah. If, if, um, if one of you, I guess I could do it, does this before this episode airs, let me know. I'll put it in the show notes. I signed up for Dolly too, but I'm still on the waiting list and I don't know how they do that. Like I wasn't able to, like I have no good yeah. reason to want to use it except that I want to see, um, sea monkeys garden of earthly delights. And so, <laughs> so I couldn't be like, I'm press. I didn't even sign up. So, so I'm, I'm a step behind. No, I'm just waiting for the free versions of whatever to come along. Yeah. Well, there right. are free versions now, but they, um, and they, the joy in those is the, is them generating bizarre things that don't quite make sense, like with too many faces and stuff. Right, right. Uh, do we want to get to the cockroach milk? Uh, the phrase "Do we want to get to the cockroach milk?" is is I feel like that should stand on its own. I, I'm torn. I feel, I want to be the non-mammalian milk guy who. Um, yeah, you know, I want who, you to be that too. <laughs> I, I I could t- I could talk very quickly about 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 All cockroach right. milk. Avery, your topic is breaking non-mammalian milk news. Sorry, mammals. Cockroaches make milk, and it is considered complete food. Yeah, so uh, I'm constantly being approached on the streets by listeners of Topic Lords who are a- ask me all the time about, um, about what new non-mammalian milk news I have, or more non-mammalian milk facts, and I always have to tell them, sorry, I'm saving this for Topic Lords. Uh, so I think this is probably the best one, which is that cockroaches uh, make a substance which is called cockroach milk, which is considered to be a complete food. It is um, uh, it is a, it is a substance made by female cockroaches, uh, and they produce it. Um, I think they produce it in their spiracles, uh, and it's sort of a um, it's sort of a thick crystalline viscous substance and uh the young cockroaches when they're born in something out of a nightmare swarm over the mother and eat this stuff um but (laughs) it's it's a complete food in that it has it has like all the amino acids all the essential amino acids that um that the human beings would require um uh right that's actually that was going to be my question is like complete food for cockroaches or for people (laughs) I think it's a complete food for both, uh, interestingly enough. I guess maybe that shouldn't be too surprising since cockroaches and people often go together. Um, <laughs> we do eat the same, a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, we seem to like the same kinds of dwellings and eat the same kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it also includes vitamins that, um, that you can, I guess, only find in, in meat. I guess that would be vitamin B, like as a lifelong vegetarian, I... I take vitamin B and like eat a lot of um, uh, nutritional yeast because those are apparently the only ways for me to get vitamin B without eating meat. Uh, and so there are people who are working on producing cockroach milk for human consumption. And I will be first in line yes. when this comes out. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this Although, is what I'm here for. This is what life's all about. Although apparently you're going to need to kill about a thousand cockroaches to make uh, 3.2 ounces of this stuff. Even better. <laughs> if I know my cockroaches well, that like you could, cockroaches are a replenishable resource. Like we don't have to worry 
that we're killing too many cockroaches. Like, I, <laughs> I don't, I think that I've been a vegetarian since I was 11, um, with very few exceptions. I've, I've, I've accidentally eaten meat three or four times in, in, in that period of, in those, in those 31 years. Um, and every time you see meat, you feel enormous guilt. <laughs> my my autobiography is going to have a uh a, an image like a a beautifully painted image of me kneeling and crying in front of uh, a meat hook with like the slab of beef <laughs> that rocky punched from from the first rocky movie and sobbing uh <laughs> yeah i think i might put my vegetarianism on pot like if i i am so excited about um commercially consumed cockroach milk that I may I may pause my vegetarianism in order to consume cockroach milk even though I know that roughly a thousand cockroaches will have died per hundred grams of this of this substance <laughs> but you wouldn't be consuming the cockroaches themselves so that's veg- true. it's still it's technically vegetarian that's true yeah it's 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 like cow milk right well, right what? they don't kill cows for cow milk uh right. don't I guess that's that's true. That's okay. true. Because there was the, a long cow- pause where I thought both of you were going to be like Avery. They do yeah. kill cow- yeah. they do kill cows for their milk. Isn't rennet like a like a surprisingly violent thing? Let me. I'm not sure about this. I think rennet is is awful. Um, but I think a lot of cheeses are made with rennet. Yes. Uh, I whenever I buy cheeses for myself, I have to make sure that it 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 says no enzyme when I rennet. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Given that cockroach milk isn't commercially produced, generally nutrition information is unavailable. <laughs> However, <laughs> a 1977 lab analysis shows that it comprises the following: 45% protein, 25% carbs, 16 to 22% lipids, 5% amino acids. Moreover, analysis have shown that the milk is a good source of other nutrients such as oleic acid, linoleic acid, omega-3 fatty acid, vitamins, minerals, and short and medium chain fatty acids yeah this is gonna be so good it is more than three times nutritious than human breast milk i don't know and why I said even more delicious milk. in coffee <laughs> it's, it's more nu- more nutritious than coffee i can't wait for the cockroach lipids I, I, and then i can't wait for the for the days when i can look up stone paper and there will be an image of somebody pouring cockroach milk onto it to demonstrate that it can't be made by cockroach milk. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Avery, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Go to Bandcamp, look up Avery Burke, San Francisco. I don't think there's too many of them. One of them is me. And James, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, go on the Topic Lords Discord and talk to Triple Fox. There you go. Oh my God! People can talk to us on the Discord. Yeah, yeah, you're also yeah. in there. You just never, you just never say anything. Yeah, but if someone came in and started talking to you, you'd get notifications. You can talk to me. I will probably not talk back to you. Oh, which means you can say whatever you want to me if you don't want to get talked back to. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics, 
with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.